0: And if you have your copy of Scripture, I invite you to turn with me to the tiny book of Amos. We're looking uh, today in Amos chapter 3, verse 3, through chapter 4, verse 3. Uh, I'm not going to read all of that for you. The Bible reading is just going to be from uh, Amos chapter 4, verse 1 to 3. I'll give you just a moment to turn there. Uh, We are working our way through a series on Amos, uh, we're going to take several weeks to work our way through this book. It's a tiny book, but there's a lot of stuff in there, a lot of great challenges, not only for the nation of Israel back in Old Testament time, but a great lot of challenges for us today if we want to be attentive to that. And so, as I have each week, I want to challenge you guys to, as we work our way through this series and as you're reading through the book of Amos, really be attentive to your own heart and your own life. Be attentive to our own church and the works that we do how is this book, how is this message relevant for us? And how should we be challenged by God to apply it to our lives? Now, I'll, I'll start off with the Bible reading by not by saying, I'm not calling any of you this, because the Bible reading begins by saying, You cows of Bashan. So, I'm not deliberately calling any of you anything. This is just the Bible reading for the day. Um, Amos chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. We'll just read verses 1 to 3. It says, Hear this you cows of Ishan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, Bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by His holiness the time will surely come when you'll be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fishhooks. You will each go straight out through the breaches in the wall and you'll be cast out toward Harmon, declares the Lord. Let me just begin with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the precious gift of Your Word. And Lord, we pray as we open it together as Your church that You will challenge our hearts, speak into our lives, Lord, that we will honor You. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now those of you who have been a part of uh, this series for the, the last couple of weeks would recognize or uh, remember that the first week was about judgment on those who don't follow God. It was all about the enemies of Israel. And as Amos, this, um, this lowly farmer and pincher of sycamore trees, was going on in, in Israel and preaching this message to both... Uh, he was preaching here in, the, uh, in, the, uh, in Israel about the enemies of Israel and God's punishment of them. The people would have loved his message because he, he takes... He talks about the people in the northeastern border and, and the northwestern border and the southeast and southwestern and to the sides and he talks about all of the kingdom of Israel, the northern and southern kingdoms, the enemies that are surrounding them, the people they've battled with for years and God through this prophet Amos says, I'm going to get them. They will be punished for how they've lived and the people of Israel would have loved this message. Finally, our enemies are going to be wiped out. Only the there was probably a hush that went over the crowd when we get into the edge then of of chapter 2. When God starts talking about punishment that will happen for the people of God because of their unfaithfulness. Now, it was one thing for this Jewish prophet to talk about the enemies, the Gentiles out there. Who cares about them, right? They're our enemies. And so the people of Israel would have rejoiced with that. But then he starts talking about them, the people of God, God's chosen people, who in the Old Testament times were chosen to be God's dearly loved people, to spread his message of power and of love. And yet, here, he talks about how they are going to be punished, because they had forgotten their first love. They had forgotten to be faithful to God. He was always faithful to them. And, and, and chapter 2 takes you through some of those commitments through the years and how he rescued them from the Emirates. And he rescued them from, uh, from the Egyptians. And he rescued them over and over and led them out of slavery and cared for them and provided for them and healed them and restored them. And yet they had been unfaithful to him. And he says they'll be punished for them. And in fact, the majority of this book will be about the people of God... The people who know God and who know what they're supposed to do, know the right thing to do, who have chosen not to follow God, who have chosen to do their own thing and to go their own way, and so he says they'll be punished for them. Today, I want to challenge you guys to go home, read through chapter 3, verse 3, through chapter 4, verse 3. It's a great, a beautiful passage here of God saying, look, I've warned you. I've tried and I've tried to let you know that you're going to be punished if you continue to live in your sin. But now this time has come. And you see God's heart broken. As He is to explain to His people, His dearly loved people, who have forgotten how to do what's right, He is to talk to them about how they will be punished for that. And I want to encourage us to all have our, our, our hearts and our eyes wide open. to see if we have or if we may fall into the same trap as the people of Israel have done and so wreak the same sort of fate. Now, as many of you know by now, I was raised on a, a small little farm in a simple little town in the hills of Kentucky, in the good old U.S. of A. And uh, as my friends would call it, America. Yeah? I'm from America. America. You can't say anything because you're from Australia, so you don't say it right either. So, um, so you can't say anything about America. But um, when I was raised in America, I was raised to always stop and give a lift to anyone that you saw walking along any of these country roads. No matter the time of day, no matter the weather conditions, you just stopped and you just helped out anyone who looked like they may be in need. I was raised to offer visitors to our house, not just a a cuppa but ask them to stay around for a meal and to sit and just talk a while. And people just had time for each other and, and made that effort to connect in. I was raised to give up my seat for the elderly or for ladies. i still to this day get annoyed when people don't do that. Men opened doors for ladies and help them th- with their seats or help them with their jackets or their coats. I was raised to give my umbrella to somebody else who was without and just get wet for the day. You can always buy another one. I was raised to always stop and offer assistance. If we saw any car that was along the side of the road, whether you knew what you are doing or not, you at least stopped to, uh, uh, to help. And I remember growing up, and often I got cold and wet. Often we spent lots of our own money on groceries for, others, for other people. Often we had strangers in our car or in our home. But I knew as a family that we cared, and it showed. I wonder, in our society today, who's gotten away from some of this sort of living, how much even within the church we can just simply forget how to do what's right. We often go with what's acceptable and not what's right. In our passage of Scripture today, it seems these, the good people of God who, who know God and He had seen them through so many things. This nation of Israel in particular had forgotten how to do what's right. They once did. They once did the right thing. They once knew what was right. But it seems like life has just gotten in the way. and Their own selfish desires have gotten in the way and they've forgotten to do what's right. Now you might say, well, how have they forgotten to do what's right? Well, This passage mentions a couple different things. First of all, it talks about wealth and and prosperity. In chapter 3, sorry, chapter 3, verse 10, it talks about um, how they've gotten their their strongholds and their, their fortresses, their houses. He says, you will be punished because you, as a people, have forgotten to do what's right, declares the Lord, who store up in their fortresses what they plundered and looted. Now, the nation of Israel in this time had grown quite rich, quite wealthy. In fact, they had, we had mentioned in the first week, they had actually restored the size of the kingdom almost to back to what it was in the time of King David, their greatest king who was a military king and, and led them in great military conquests with God's blessing. And through these military conquests in recent times, I mean in this time of Amos, they had restored much of that kingdom and they had obtained great wealth and prosperity. Only this time they did a lot of that on their own. They obtained a lot of this wealth and prosperity by stealing from other people and by oppressing the poor. And so here he says... You've simply forgotten to do what's right. You have these great houses and this great wealth and it's not what you have that's the problem, it's how you've obtained it because you've obtained it through through theft and through violence. Now, this is not about having a summer house or going on holidays. It's not saying you shouldn't, as people of God, you shouldn't be wealthy or you shouldn't have a lot. But it is saying we need to watch how we obtain that that we're doing that by doing what is right. That we're doing that by honoring God with our finances, by doing that by honoring God and the way we treat other people. Now, we live in one of the wealthiest nations in the entire world. I know sometimes it doesn't feel like it. Sometimes you feel like, oh, I'm just going paycheck to paycheck. But at our very worst, we are so richly blessed. And many of us, own a house some people own multiple houses many of us at our houses have multiple vehicles many of us have at least one smartphone in our house or uh, or at least one computer or some sort of uh, device many of us have several in our homes many of us go on holidays traveling locally or around the world and We don't even think anything about it because we're just used to that. It's how we were raised and it's how uh, maybe we're we're able to go on a few more holidays than we were when we were kids or whatever, but we're just used to being blessed to travel. But in fact, the the majority of the world, the majority of the world's population never travel anywhere. Many people never even go to the next village, much less to the next, next state or province or the next country or to travel around the world. I mean, for goodness sake, Australia gets four weeks paid holiday a year. That's insane. When I was in America, I would never even dreamt of having four weeks off. I didn't get any holidays until the, the last couple of jobs I had in um, in America. I, I never had any holidays off. You just work every day throughout the year, at least five days a week, every single week of the year. And... uh in the last couple jobs I had, I had I was, it was a good job and I, they were good jobs and I had two weeks paid holiday and I thought I was sitting pretty. Yeah? I was doing pretty good. Two weeks off a year and they pay me for it. I couldn't believe it. This is amazing. And I, when I was getting ready to move to Australia, Lindy's talking to me about all this holiday and, and we've got vacation, but anyway, all this vacation time you get. I'm like, are you? what are you talking about? And she's like, oh yeah, we just take off here and go there. I'm thinking, how can anyone afford to do that? She goes, oh, no, they pay you for it. Like, it's, it's four weeks paid, paid holiday. I'm thinking, where do I sign up? I'm moving to Australia. And then she tried to give me a bit to be a teacher because then she said, you get even more. Huh? you get Nine weeks off or so. But um, I think we, we, have, we have it all. We really do. We're so blessed. And it's important as a church that sometimes we stop and we just reflect on what are we doing with that blessing? What are we doing with that, all that extra money? What are we doing with the extra time? What are we doing with the blessing that God gives us? And now I know you, you didn't do anything deceptively to receive all these holidays and things like that. That's given to you. That's great. But we do need to make sure that the money we obtain, the resources we obtain, the houses, the cars, whatever it is, we do so honestly and we do so treating people with our best. Much of our fine clothes and our luxurious items, many of you would know, are made by, by slave labor or, or forced poor working conditions in dangerous working conditions in poorer parts of the world. Australia is the land of coffee drinkers. We're the coffee kings, I think. And there's there's um, cafes and stuff everywhere. And yet uh, the majority of the coffee that we drink, especially the instant coffee that we drink, is um, is farmed and produced by people who are, are suffering and even die in deplor- deplorable condition. We've uh, made a decision as a church to, to change to, to fair trade coffee, not just with the real coffee but with our instant coffee to try to, to make sure that at least what we're enjoying each week is, um, is not causing others to suffer. Even our milk nowadays, we often go with whatever's cheapest in the supermarket, whatever's most convenient, whatever the biggest shelves have on there. But much of this is causing our own Aussie farmers to, to struggle. And we have a suicide rate among Aussie farmers which is consistently on the rise. And we, as I think, as a church, have to do better. We as a church, have to buy things different. We as a church have to think about things and research things and go, what am I doing to contribute to the problem? Am I being just like the people of Israel who are enjoying stuff and I I don't have to pay as much for my milk and I don't have to pay as much for my coffee and I don't have to pay as much for my clothes and not even thinking about the fact that that's costing someone their life. We as a church have to be challenged just like the people of Israel did to do better to do more the people of israel not only had forgotten to do what's right by obtaining their their wealth and prosperity at the cost of others but they'd forgotten to do what's right because they had become a people who actually oppressed the ones that they were meant to care for the people of israel over and over in the old testament were called to care for the orphans and the widows which didn't actually only mean the orphans and win- only mean the orphans and widows, but were people who were in need and people who were destitute, people who were outcasts in the society. God's people were called to care for those orphans and widows, to care for the poor and the needy. And God's people today, the Christians, are called to do the same—to look after the needy, to stand for justice, and to help out those around us who are struggling. God calls these women in uh, chapter 4, verse 1, cows of Bashan. That's not very nice. That's another thing I was taught. You never call a woman a cow. huh? (laughs) Not if you want to live, probably. (laughs) One thing I've known growing up with cows, I grew up on a cow farm, cows got a pretty strong kick to them. So, (laughs) if you want to call someone a cow, you might get the hoof. So, as a warning against that. But, he calls them that for a reason. He says, You, you cows of Bashan, who, who lay around oppressing the poor and crushing the needy and saying to your husbands, Bring me some drinks. And the Sovereign Lord sees all this and will punish you. As I said, I was raised on a little small farm. It was a, a beef cattle farm. Not, not a, a big farm by any means, especially not by these Australian farming standards. We only had about 40 head of cattle. But we we cared for them and looked after them all my life. And I can tell you, cows do nothing. They don't do anything. They literally stand around or lay around all day long. The most they might do is eat all the grass in this pasture and walk into the next pasture and stand there and eat more grass. But oftentimes, they can't even be bothered doing that. Cows will, will... sit and they'll eat and eat and eat grass until it's just down to the dirt. And they'll just stand around and keep trying to eat. That's what's there. Rather than trying to walk into uh, the next pasture where the grass is green and you've got to lead them to uh, the good food. And they they eat and they, they drink and they stand around all day. They sleep. They wake up the next day and they do the same thing. And I think it's very important when God says to his people here, to the women specifically in Israel, saying, You're being like lazy cows. You're obtaining all this wealth, and yet you're you're treating the people who you're supposed to be caring for like your slaves. You're oppressing them, and you're 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 causing the needy to suffer. You're crushing those who are coming to you for help while you sit back. Lounging in the luxury. Now we, we know that we have poor and needy all around us in this community. The question is, do we ignore it? Do we overlook it? Do we contribute to it? Or are we working to alleviate it? God says here to His people, He will not allow us to continue to know what is right, and to do what is wrong. And in fact, in chapter 3, verse 3 to 8, there's this great passage of of example after example of a warning that's been given, and then now there's going to be action. He says, look, a lion doesn't roar until he's already on top of his prey. He said, here the, the lion has roared You know that the enemy is right there, and yet you still don't do anything. The warning sign, has, the horn has been sounded, and the enemy is at the gates, and yet you're still not getting ready for battle. You're still not aware of the danger you're in. Now again, growing up in America, they've got something called the emergency broadcast system. I don't know if you're aware of what that is, but what happens is anytime there's a a bad storm in the area, uh, you'll get a little thing across your, your television and, and the radio, and it's this long kind of beep. I'm not going to make the sound, but we'll just imagine a long beep, okay? And as everyone knows that sound. Everyone in America would know that sound, and your, your television stops and your, your radio stops, and then across the bottom of the screen, after this long beep, will come whatever this warning is. And they start off with saying, uh, a storm watch, which simply means there's a, like a severe storm watch. Or a tornado watch and if there's a tornado in the area they'll, they'll say all right there's a storm watch means or a tornado watch means there, there's possible tornado activity it could be possible in your area the clouds are starting to form right the conditions are right so be aware that a tornado may be coming then they move to a tornado warning and a tornado morning, warning actually means that a tornado has been spotted in your area or a tornado is somewhere around, you need to get to shelter. You need to take cover. Now, I can honestly say, because I've been through several tornadoes, you would be stupid if you get warning after warning over your radio and television and you just go, "It's just another tornado. And people do it. People do it all the time. They just go, "Uh, I've survived 20 before. We'll be fine through this one, and they sit it out, and they don't board up their windows, and they don't go to shelter, and people get killed. Well, here in chapter three, verse three to eight, God says, "Look, I've given you warning after warning after warning through through the prophets, like like Jeremiah and Habakkuk and others. I've said if you keep living like this, if you keep living in sin and not following my ways, there's going to be punishment. There's going to be suffering." And they refused to listen to it. And so Amos, Amos's cry is saying, the warnings have already happened. The siren's already been gone. The horn has been blown. The is already at the gates. And in chapter 3, verse 9, there's a powerful verse because he says this, Proclaim to the fortress of, of Ashdod and to the fortress of Egypt, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. See the great unrest within her. And the oppression among our people. For they do not know what is right, declares the Lord, who store up in their fortress what they plundered and looted. What he's saying here, God's no longer speaking to the nation of Israel. He's speaking to their enemies. And he's saying, Come around, gather around, because this is what you've been waiting for. The people of Israel, who you've been persecuting and you've been punishing, I'm now going to punish. And it's almost like he's saying, Look, gather around the stadium. Feel up on the mountains here and look down on the nation of Israel is a showtime. What well, the prophets have said would happen is now about to happen. And God's punishment is going to be on His people because they've chosen not to follow His way. He calls the enemies to watch and to see which, which whether or not He's really calling the enemies in to come in or not. It's not the point. He's talking to the people of Israel and saying, Look, I, I'm calling the enemies to go. This is going to happen. You will be punished and you will be you will suffer for what you've done. And also, God says he will not allow his people to escape. Now, that's a pretty powerful statement to say. But he makes it clear here in chapter 3, verse 12. I'm sorry, this is a, a graphic passage, but it's needed for this. It says... In chapter three, verse twelve, this is what the Lord says: As a shepherd rescues from the lion's sorry, as a shepherd rescues from the lion's mouth only two legs, leg bones, or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only the the head of a sorry, the head of a bed or a piece of fabric from a couch. Just like a shepherd rescues a lion from a lion's mouth only two leg bones or a piece of an ear, so will the Israelites living in Samaria be rescued with only the head of a bed or the piece of fabric from a couch. Now, this passage for the people of Israel, you may not be aware of this, but for the people of Israel, they would have actually recognized this is from an Old Testament story earlier on in the story of 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24 to 37 in which David is talking about how he's rescued people from the mouth of the lion with his bare hands. He's ripped open the mouth of a lion and he's he's rescued sorry he's rescued sheep and he's rescued um, those he was meant to care for from the, the mouth of a lion. And for God to to mention the same passage again that they loved David, the people of Israel loved him and they knew exactly what the stories of what he had done and how he had saved sheep from the mouth of the lion. And he says to them in this case if you think you're going to do the same thing if you think you're going to be saved like those sheep were you're sadly mistaken because no one is going to escape my wrath. No one is going to escape this time of punishment. There'll be nothing left but a few scraps of the cloth of the, uh, the lounge that you're lying in. He says in chapter 3 verse 12 to 15 the men will not escape. Beginning verse 12 says, this is what the Lord says, as a shepherd rescues uh, from the lion's mouth, uh, this that we read, it says, Hear this and testify against the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord, the Lord Almighty. On the day I will punish Israel for her sins, I will destroy the altars of Bethel. of Bethel, the horns of the altar will be cut off and fall to the ground, I will tear down the winter house, Along with the summer house, the houses adorned with ivory will be destroyed and the mansions will be demolished, declares the Lord. And all of it will be wiped out. And then in chapter 4, beginning in verse 2, he talks about these ladies as well uh, that will be wiped out, or led away into captivity. The sovereign Lord has sworn by His holiness. The time will surely come when you'll be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. You will each go straight out through the breaches in the wall and you will be cast out toward Harmon. Go to Bethel Bethel, and sin. Go to Gilgal and sin yet more. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. Burn leavened bread as a thank offering and brag about your freewill offerings. Boast about them, for this is what you do, declares the Lord. He says, look, You can keep thinking you're doing right if you want. You can keep trying to serve God if you want in in your own ways, but this is not what God requires. He requires for you to live out His love, to live out His grace. Now, we like to think that God would never allow us to, to suffer or to struggle. I've often heard this is Australia, mate. Like, we're so blessed. And I grew up hearing, hey, this is America. All y'all are blessed. All y'all are blessed here. It's such a great country. The fact is, there was no massive kingdom or prominent world power in the history of the world that's ever been sustained indefinitely. These great kingdoms like Babylon and Assyria and Rome risen to the heights of glory and fame and power and riches and glory and now they are no more what will happen to the great United States what will happen to Australia we do truly have God's blessings, and for that we still need to live according to God's word according to God's laws according to his ways we are young countries but we need to wise up to God's age-old truths how long will God allow us not to follow him how long will injustice and immorality and idolatry prevail church we can't claim to be a people of God and not remember to do what's right we can't say how much we love God and then oppress and reject those who are meant to care for. We've become a people of convenience with, with microwave popcorn and whatever music or preaching or entertainment it is that you want. We just carry it right on our, our phones or devices. But let's make sure that we're not treating people out of convenience. Don't just do what's easy. As a church, we've got to be called to think and to do what's right. Go across the road and meet the neighbor. Cut someone's lawn for them. Stop and give someone a lift. Help someone carry their groceries. Think and research before you shop. Do fair trade stuff if possible. The point is, as a church, as a people of God, we do more damage for God than good when we talk about how much we love Him and our lives are showing something completely different. I pray that we all be challenged to know God and also then to do what is right. Let's just pray. God, I thank you for the truth in your word. I thank you, Lord, for your, your power and your majesty and how you seek, God, with all of your, the riches and glory to, to resource us and to bless us and to, to lead us, God, to, to do what is right and to afford us to be able to do the ministry that you called us to do. Whether it be in our marriages and our families and our workplaces and our streets, as your church, God, you've called us to go on mission for you and to, to share your love and mercy with others. And you will bless us. You will care for us. You will provide for us all that we need, according to your riches and glory, as we seek to serve you. But Lord, we as your people, at times have sought to seek. Our, we sought to serve ourselves our own greed or our own selfish desires. And sometimes, even without a thought, we become a people who oppress the poor rather than help them. We become a people who do what's convenient or do what's easy rather than doing what's right. Lord, we pray that you forgive us, that you lead us to what is right, We pray, Lord, that we be a people who study Your Word and that we allow You, Lord, through the work of Your Holy Spirit to challenge us to be more like You, to show Your grace and strength, to live out Your love, not to just talk about loving You, but to live that in our community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.